Hey, listener, are you happy with your current chicken wings? Do you wish you had something a little saucier? If you answered yes, then it might be time for you to break up with your old chicken wings and get a new honey. Lemon pepper wing from Popeye's. Share the wings with your friends so they can see it's time to move on, too. Head to Popeye's and get six-piece honey lemon pepper wings for $5.99 at participating U.S. restaurants. Price may vary. You gotta love it. You gotta love it. Welcome to the Brother from Another program. And I gotta tell you, yesterday, Michael Smith, when I was having technical difficulties, Michael Smith had this long, entertaining preamble about folks taking, black folks especially, taking time off, break. When we break, we break. And we showed the classic Bernie Mac clip. And Michael pointed out that it had been 66 days since the two of us did a show together. I'd say yesterday counts as 67 because although we did the show together, we didn't do the show together off the top. So we're going to count. We got to be thorough, do the whole thing. So this dude talks about time off. And hey, thanks for checking for us. And here we are back. And he takes Tuesday off. He's not here on Tuesday after making a big deal about all the time that he had off. And he got a new job. So he's really feeling himself. He's smelling himself right now. Took some time off from brother from another. Got a new job in the process. And now go take off a random Tuesday in August. Anyway, got love for him anyway. I, I got to tell you this. I, if you if you guys didn't see Michael Smith and hadn't heard from him, I didn't either. I hadn't heard from him all summer until one day, you want to talk about random, one day, he's got a text. Got a text from Michael Smith. Where are you right now? Tell on Martha's Vineyard. How about you? Tell on the Vineyard. I'm going to come through. So there it is. We're out there on Circuit Ave. Wearing our dad gear. Chilling. On Martha's Vineyard, but that wasn't the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it right there. That's my nine-year-old daughter, soon to be 10, Ava. That's his just-turned-10-year-old daughter, Maya. And they're hanging out at night on Circuit Ave, Martha's Vineyard. That's the beauty of Martha, Martha's Vineyard. You never let your kids be out late at night in the city. But on the vineyard, you let them stay out late. You let them eat ice cream, let them eat donuts, let them do all sorts of things that you wouldn't normally do at home. Vacation is season. Vacation season is over, though. I would say vacation season is over. We are ready to get into this program. We got some good stuff, uh, not just for not just for the fall, but just for today. I mean, we got big picture stuff coming. We'll tell you about that later. But for today, what a day! And maybe this is why Michael took the day off. You didn't want to hear my cackle. This is a day for cackling when it comes to Kevin Durant and a Brooklyn Nets. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, you can't. You can't. <laughs> Hold on. You can't make this stuff up. It's so good. We'll get to that eventually. But let's start with a brother I have a lot of respect for. His name is Jason Reed. He's a senior NFL writer for Anscape, and he's got a book out called rise of the black quarterback what it means for America you have got to follow and you, you probably already do you probably already follow Jason Reed but if you're not following Jason Reed what are you thinking what are you doing uh, you need to pay attention to him uh, one of the most original fearless voices in sports media today so Jason uh, first of all congratulations on the book I know how hard it is to do that. It's a labor of love. And I know you put a lot of sweat and a lot of love and a lot of thought into that. And welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Mike, I'm doing well. And let me say thank you because, uh, you know, you've done this process uh, before and you've done it very well. And so I appreciate those kind words, brother. Oh, I appreciate you, Jason. So let, let's let's start off with uh, Rise of the Black Quarterback. I, I'll start off this way. You know, I remember just as you do, I'm guessing we're around the same age. We don't need to get into details around the same age, but I just remember watching stupefied. I was just amazed uh, when I saw Doug Williams uh, lead the then Washington Redskins, now the football team or commanders uh, back from a 10 zip deficit to win the Super Bowl over the Broncos. And it was just like 
It was amazing. We hadn't seen anything like that. I remember uh, Public Enemy rapping about the flavor flavor. It was like we got a black quarterback. Now step back. You know, it was just like a big deal. Just g- give us a sense of how significant that moment was and how far we've come since 1987. Well, yeah, Mike. I mean, you really hit it on the head. For Black America, and especially for 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 Black men, that was almost and, and I'm I don't think I'm overstating this almost a religious experience because we were told for so long that quarterback, the ultimate leadership position, the the position that's a uniquely American leadership position, everything that it signifies about uh, masculinity and intelligence and 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 the ability to inspire others, that we were told that black men could not occupy that position because we were too stupid and too lazy and just not worthy of even being in that conversation to play that position. So yeah, you know, we're of the same age. And I just remember when Doug Williams became the first black man to start in the Super Bowl and win the game's MVP award as the Washington Redskins crushed the Denver Broncos, watching that with my brothers and older men in our family, you know, when, when I was a kid, just the, the feeling that that inspired. And I remember everybody went out on the block after that game was over and we were all just celebrating because it was almost like a burden had finally been lifted. And, you know, to your other part of the question about where we've come, we've come such a long way. I I like to tell people now, we are now in the era of the black quarterback in the NFL. You look at the pipeline, the traditional powers in college, the Alabamas, the USC's, the Ohio State's, all led by superstar black quarterbacks. You like me, we're, we're old newspaper guys. We broke into the business, you know, covering high schools and sport and, and right. recruiting and all that type of thing. You look at all those elite quarterback camps. I remember when I was starting out, you'd never see black faces. Black faces, four or five star prospects everywhere, youth football. So the pipeline is strong and it's coming. And Mike, I would not be surprised if in another five to 10 years, there were as many as 16 superstar black quarterbacks leading NFL teams. Yeah. And I'd love to say, Jason, that, oh, yeah, that moment we talked about with Doug Williams, oh, that changed everything. Now that everybody saw it, okay, people are going to go out, they're going to invest in in black quarterbacks, they're going to turn their teams over to these leaders, to these field generals. It didn't quite happen like that. What would you say got us here? It wasn't necessarily Doug Williams. That was eye-opening, as you said, religious experience. That wasn't the turning point. What was the turning point? Well, where, where the league and general managers and coaches and said, okay, we're going to trade up for Trey Lance. Uh, yeah, we're going to go get Lamar Jackson. We're going to, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes. We're going to trade up for Mahomes. We're going to trade up for Deshaun Watson. H- how do we get to this point? Yeah, it, it, it wasn't. Doug didn't do that because a lot of team owners and team executives looked at it as like a one-off. Well, yeah, this black quarterback did that in that game, but that wasn't something that they thought could happen consistently so it was a seminal moment but it wasn't the breakthrough moment what i attribute the breakthrough to is warren moon who didn't get drafted in 1978 despite being the co-player of the year in the in the pack eight conference at that point despite leading washington to a rose bowl win has to go to canada to further his quarterback ambitions lights it up in canada finally gets signed as a free agent with the Houston Oilers. And after a transition period, a rough transition period, he becomes a perennial pro bowler. He finishes high in the MVP voting. So this is the late 1980s, early 1990s. Then we see Randall Cunningham, the ultimate weapon, a second round draft pick out of the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, finally gets in there as a starter with the Eagles and does things that the league had never seen. So seminal moment with Doug Williams, but just the beginning. Then Warren Moon and... Uh, Randall Cunningham, those two guys together move us into the late 1990s when there's finally a tacit acknowledgement by the league in the 1999 NFL draft when three black quarterbacks are selected, Donovan McNabb, Dante Dante Culpepper, and Akili Smith, a tacit acknowledgement that, okay, these guys can play and help us make money. We got to bring them in here in in, in larger numbers. So when, when there's a rise, there's still some issues that you have to deal with on your way to the top and, and what, what would you say those issues are now because we've got some um, contemporary issues. We've got quarterbacks now who are highly regarded on the field, but they still have to deal with certain criticisms and certain scrutiny that their uh, white counterparts don't. What do you see there? Well, you know, I'll let me put the, put it in Patrick Mahomes words that, you know, Patrick Mahomes, great quarterback, 
a guy who's one of the top three quarterbacks in the league, has a Super Bowl trophy, Super Bowl MVP award, league MVP award. But he said it recently that, you know, black quarterbacks have had to fight to be here. We've proven that we should have been here all along. But sometimes the criticism about us doesn't sound quite the same way it does about people who don't look like us. Anonymous quotes basically saying that he's a one-read quarterback, which is ridiculous. Anonymous quotes Ooh. saying that it doesn't matter if Lamar Jackson wins 12 MVP awards, he's still not a top-tier quarterback. I mean, we, we see these things. So although there's been a ton of progress made, and like I said, I do believe we are in the era of the black quarterback and it's only going to get bigger and better, still, progress is not perfection. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. The the Mahomes thing, that just blew my mind. And look, I, you know, as you said, uh, we came up in the newspaper business, and so there's kind of like this a tradition where we don't necessarily attack our colleagues. But I, I this made me wonder. I know it was anonymous quotes in the Athletic. What's that person looking at? How do you, how do you look at Patrick Mahomes? How do you look at the start of his career? and say, well, yeah, it's as simple as taking away his first read. You know what? I, I, I read that first, Jason. The first thing I did, I probably did the same thing you did. I'm like, okay, that's some BS. That's one. <laughs> then two, I say, okay, well, if it's that simple and you're a defensive play caller, I think you're bad at your job then. If you can't take away his first read, you can't do that as a, as a play caller, then that's your problem. And, and, and so it's not you're making it sound like Patrick Mahomes is so limited. Maybe you're so limited intellectually that you know you supposedly know everything he's going to do and you can't stop him anyway. I just don't understand how we got to that point. And I know it's just one anonymous quote, but it's really it was really infuriating to me. Yeah, and I'm right there with you. And, and I thought the same thing you did. Okay, well, then why don't why didn't everybody just take away his first read and make him a horrible quarterback? I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense. And, and and to that point, you know, in the history of the Super Bowl era, era, Ken Stabler of the Oakland Raiders, the Hall of Fame quarterback from the Raiders, had the best record of any quarterback through 50 starts at 40 wins, nine losses, and one tie. You know who's second on that list? Patrick Mahomes at 40 and 10. So how are you telling me that if you take away his first read and he has to play quote unquote street ball, which is more coded language, that the Chiefs then lose? Here's the thing. With Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs don't lose. It it, it doesn't make any sense. And <laughs> right. and you know, right. you know, I, and, and 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 real quick, I, I you know the, the, the point you just made about not wanting to criticize our colleagues. As old newspaper guys, we know we're our first editors. Before we turn in our, our stories to, to our editors, we self-edit. And, and my whole thing about those quotes is like, if you just examine the quotes on their face, they don't make any sense. Now, if you're looking to just get clicks, okay, fine, you put it out there because it's incendiary language and it's anonymous, so it's gutless. But if you if you really break down those quotes, they simply don't make sense. I'll tell you what else doesn't make sense, and I, I'm just I'm wondering how they got to this point. You talk about Kyler Murray, number one overall pick, and as he pointed out in a press conference, we'll, we'll say why he even pointed this out in the press conference. Hey, I got drafted in the NFL and in Major League Baseball. At my size, especially in football, to do what I do, it takes a lot of thought. It takes a lot of preparation. I just can't just wake up here and be great. He had to say that because the Arizona Cardinals, you know, put this clause in his contract that he needed to have some extra study time. And, and I guess uh, just a couple of things on this. One, what's up with that clause? <laughs> what do you think about that? And two, do you think anybody, whether it was Murray's agent or anybody with the Cardinals that took, a time, took the time to say, you know what? We're sending a really, really bad message, not just at our own guy, regardless of race, but particularly at a black quarterback, we're kind of bringing up and reinforcing some things that we heard 50 and 60 years ago. Yeah, and, and Mike, and you know this having covered the league, the, the amount of time in that independent study addendum that that they put in there is ridiculous if you're talking about really wanting to make a guy you know, embrace the playbook and embrace breaking down film. I mean, it was, it was such a ridiculously small amount of time. So what I look at that situation as is just complete failure. Failure on the Cardinals standpoint, because why are you guaranteeing a guy 160 million for injury and 105 million in signing? The second biggest guarantee in the history of the NFL, if you have doubts about it. 
Now, I think generally speaking, they were okay with his study habits, but they're like, look, we're going to make him the second biggest guarantee ever, so we want him to push himself a little further. But that's not something you put in the text of a contract. That's something that you address privately with him and his agent. And his agent failed by not having that stuff taken out of the contract before he signed it. And everybody failed because the Cardinals acknowledged the mistake they made and took it out. And what this does now, it's going to cast a shadow over Kyler Murray, a guy who's been a two-time pro bowler, who is the AP Offensive Rookie of the Year. Because every time he has a bad game, and despite being a very good quarterback, he's going to have bad games because even Tom Brady has bad games. What it's going to do is every time he has one, people will say, ah, he didn't study. It was, it was such a stupid thing for the Cardinals to do and such a stupid thing for his agent to allow. And, and now, really, the damage is done, and I don't think it can be reversed. Yeah, that's a tough one. That's really a tough one to get past. Uh, let me ask you this question, and I may duck as I ask, because I know, you know, writing a book, there's a lot of time put in there, a lot of sacrifices you put in to, to get that product out, a lot of pressure, editors in your ear, on and on. What was the most fun? What was the most fun you had uh, in this book writing process? You know, you don't have to duck because, you know, you, you know what it's like. The, the best part about the process was people entrusting me with their stories. You know, Patrick Mahomes giving me time, Kyler Murray giving me time, and in the pioneers, you know, Marlon Briscoe, the, the first black starting quarterback of the modern era when he took over for the old, uh, for the old Denver Broncos when they were in the old AFL. Um, you know, Marlon just recently passed, and the time he gave me, that was so meaningful to me. The time Doug Williams gave me, Randall Cunningham, Warren Moon, Donovan McNabb, because ultimately, you know, when you write a book, and anybody who's written one about people, that's you know, that's a, a, a not a uh, it's a nonfiction book. It's the the content in the book. What makes the book strong is the stories that people tell you, the trust that they show in you to tell their stories, and that was the most gratifying part for me. That so many of these men who I respect entrusted me to tell their stories, and I and I'm I'm proud and I'm humbled that they did. Yeah, it's something. It really is something. It's a it's a great story. Um, if just especially if you want to understand not just understand the NFL better, but really American history. It's a story of, of sports, but it's also as you pointed out, it's a story of leadership and how some people have overcome some of the biases that they've, they've had when it comes to what does a leader look like? What does a, a leader sound like? And some people just get stuck. They get stuck. They just can't wrap their minds around the most important person in their franchise being an African-American leader capable of taking that franchise to the top. Yeah, and in a nutshell, and I, and I think, we, you know, and I appreciate so much what you said, because this is another, another lens on, on African-American history, but history of the United States. Because when we look at that position, when we look at what it means, you take it away from the football field. If you're, if you're in corporate America and you're leading a big project, well, you're the quarterback of that project. If someone goes in for a medical procedure and it's a dicey thing and you got to get, you know, uh, multiple doctors are involved with the procedure, your lead doctor is your quarterback. And, you know, when we look at the rise of the black quarterback in America, what does it say about America? If the NFL, this 800-pound gorilla that dominates American popular culture, what does it say if black men are considered too stupid to play the most important position in it. So when I think about the rise of the black quarterback in the NFL, I look at it as a rise of black people in America. And it shows that once the playing field is not completely level, but just a little bit more level than it was, that anyone can rise up based on their intelligence and their work ethic and their ability and contribute to the fabric of the greatest country in the world. Well, you've contributed to the literary canon. Nonfiction Rise of the Black Quarterback, Jason Reed, senior NFL writer for Anscape. We always appreciate you. Got to come back and we talk about some of the things going on this season. Lots of storylines, but really much success to you in this book project. Let's put it on the New York Times bestsellers list. If it's not there already, we'll put it on there. Thank you, my man. Thanks for having me. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Oh, as I said off the top, 
You just can't create this. You wouldn't be able to make this up on your own. Truth is always better than fiction. I'm biased, but I do believe that. And the Brooklyn Nets have backed me up with that. And Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, no longer seeking a trade from the Brooklyn Nets. Vinny Goodwill of Yahoo, no longer seeking a trade. And the language in the statement was, we're going to continue our partnership. <laughs> they can continue our partnership. Oh, is that right? So uh, Durant in April said, hey, Steve Nash deserves to keep his job. A couple of months after that, he wants out. Couple a, a few weeks after that, he wants Joe Sy to pick between him and Marks and Nash. And now here we are, late August, almost September, and Kevin Durant doesn't want to be traded. What do you make of this uh, entertaining franchise known as the Brooklyn Nets? You said he doesn't want to be traded. I think he was told that he wasn't going to be traded. And with training camp being a little over a month away, he wasn't going to go nuclear and not show up. Like, there's only a few players who will act a plum fool when they get there or just not show up to get what they want. Kevin Durant loves basketball too much for that. And you're right. This is one of those epic sort of six-week things because it's only been about six weeks. And I quibble with you on one thing, Michael Holly. I don't okay. honestly think, I don't honestly think that he wanted Sean Marks and Steve Nash fired. Not really. He just wanted to let them know how far he was willing to go to get up out of there. He tried to put mm. every big spade on the table at every turn to let them know that he means business. You know, I got a funny story. I was in Chicago once. This is one of those Vinny anecdotes. I was in okay, Chicago once. Bring it on, bring it on. Visiting, visiting. And I was, I was there for a Pistons-Bulls game. And one of my closest friends from high school and college, he lived, like, far out in the city. And he was like, yeah, we're going to hang out after the game. You know, I'm going I'm to drive down to the city, and we're just going to hang out after the game. So I get back to my hotel. I'm like, yo, you, you coming where you at? He calls me from his driveway. And he says, you know, my wife doesn't think it's okay for me to go hang out so late tonight. You know what I mean? Like, she just doesn't think it's very smart. <laughs> But he's in this driveway in his car. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, so what are you doing outside? Right. And he says, he cuts the car on, he revs the engine, and he says, I'm letting her know that I really mean business. <laughs> but you were in the car. But you're still in the car. He was in the car, threatening to leave. You ain't going but not going, not going anywhere. So after we got off right. the phone, he went in the oh, house and he went about his life. And while that was happening, I guarantee you, his wife was looking at him saying, "Go ahead and throw that temper tantrum. You'll be back. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you'll be back. That was now. Listen, that was Joe Sy. You'll be back. Okay, Joe Sy. He could say you'll be back. Only because maybe, and you tell me, um, maybe he kind of muddied the field, so it was impossible to trade Kevin Durant. Like for example, okay, if, if you if we really want to do business, you know, Benny, uh, you're reasonable. I'm reasonable. If you have something, if we have a deal to make, we can make a deal. The two of us, in our right state of mind, we can make a deal. But if you're saying, hey. What do you want for Kevin to Kevin Durant and the person on the other end of the line is saying, well, I want six first round picks and I want your top three players. And, and you know, like, of course, Joe side knows he's going to be back if he's instructed his front office. If he did do that to make it really, really difficult to trade him. Did that happen? Well, I think you can connect the dots and see that for one Joe side wants that building pool. He does not want to go through one of those rebuilds where even though he said, I'd rather have a team that plays hard and everything else. Once you have a little bit of distance from that, you want the building for you want to be the guy walking around New York. That is the owner of the Brooklyn Nets. Even if the Brooklyn Nets don't mean a damn thing relative to the New York Knicks, you still want to be the rich guy that owns a team in the building that everybody wants to be. at. That's the place to be right. So yeah, I, it, it looked like a very unserious negotiation from the Brooklyn Nets standpoint. It looked like a very unserious negotiation
from other teams' standpoint, you're not willing to give up your second best player. You're looking to just throw some fodder in there for a player who's entering year one of a four-year deal, which means if you have some level of franchise competence, he's going to be there for a significant period of time or a significant period of time by NBA, you know, by the NBA calendar, which, you know, basically you only operate in two-year intervals. And But other teams could look at it and say, you know what, Kevin Durant, if you were going to leave with four years left, why would you not leave with three years left? Why would you not leave with two years left? But I'll tell you the biggest point of insult for me. Kevin Durant, at worst, is maybe the third best player walking in the world. Right. Maybe the third right, best right. player. At worst. Right. And you mean yeah. to tell me that other teams were not willing to give up everything possible for, at worst, the third best player in the world? I think those other franchises were crazy. Like, if, if you're okay. telling me... I, I Call me crazy, but I think that yeah. they were crazy. Call me crazy. It, it's No, I, I can't call you crazy because it's... I kind of want to call you crazy, but then I just look at it. I, I go back and forth on it. On one hand, you look at those numbers from Kevin Durant. I mean... And 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 38% from three-point range, you know he's capable of more than that. He can give you 40, 41, but no problem. So those numbers are great. But he is 34. He will be 34 next mm -hmm. month. Mm -hmm. He has played about 90 games in the last three seasons. He missed some time last year as well. Um He's had some serious injuries too, like last year's injury, like a big deal, and then uh, obviously the uh, the Achilles. So, if you're a certain kind of team, what are you doing? Yeah, you're getting the second at worst, as you say, uh, third best player, and you, you can make an argument for for the top spot. Yeah, you're getting mm -hmm. that player, but how long are you getting him? What's the position of your team after you've given up so much to acquire Kevin Durant? Are you in the same position as a lot of these? Contenders with a small C, not a capital C, because you're missing a couple of elements because you gave it all up to get Kevin Durant. So, I mean, I don't know. No, no, no. You're missing I it wrong. Here's, here's what the crazy thing about the NBA is. The NBA moves faster, probably than even the NFL at this point. Like the NBA, to me, yeah. we're building teams operating three-year intervals. NBA contenders operate in two-year intervals. Remember what we thought about Golden State two years ago. We thought they were done. We didn't think that Steph could yeah. lead a team to a title. Look at guilty, where they are guilty, now. They're the champs. Guilty. guilty. Exactly. Milwaukee. Guilty. We we didn't we didn't think Milwaukee was going to be able to put it all the way together with Giannis as a leading man. And if not for Chris Middleton's you know injury right before hey, right on, before the start of the second round. They Boston, they put Boston out and they're playing in June. I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry to hurt Boston yeah. Celtics fans no, or no, Boston people. But that, I don't that, there's no excuse. I but but what I'm saying is, I, okay. Okay, but, okay. but my larger point is, is that two-year intervals, everything changes. The world, the NBA world moves so much faster now. Like there's no six or seven-year rebuilds. There's no six or seven-year windows of contending. You worry about today and you worry about tomorrow and next week will come when next week comes. So why worry about Kevin Durant three or four years from now when, A, he has the type of game that will age well, and, B, you can talk all this stuff about the injuries that you want to. He came back from a yeah. Jones fracture in 2015 looking better than the MVP player he was before. He came back from the Achilles rupture looking every bit like the MVP player that he was before then. So you mean to tell me that an MCL injury on a player who's not overly reliant hey. on athleticism, on a great shooter, and on the greatest non-system player in the history of the game is going to have problems aging? Hey, I don't care. Y'all hey, are tripping. Please, somewhere, somewhere close to Brooklyn, Brooklyn, I bet you there's a member of the last poets. You know that that poem. Time is passing and running, passing and running. Look, time waits for no one. Not even Kevin Durant. At some, you know, so that Jones fracture. What year was that? Uh, it 20, was probably what, 2015. Yep. Okay. And we, and we, don't, so even we don't even remember that happened. But we he don't was even 20, remember that. But happened. he was 27. He was in his prime, and he's still playing at a high level. But 27. As you'll find out, you probably have found out, there's a big difference between 27 and 34. So, uh, yeah, that's great. He was able to overcome that, but I'm not counting on it. And, okay, so let's say it's two-year window. I buy that. If you're Boston, 
you would have traded Jalen Brown and whoever Marcus smart and some first round picks to bring in Kevin Durant. You would have done that. You trade 24. Are you winning otherwise? Are you winning otherwise is the question. Did they lose? That is the yeah, sure. That is the question. Did they lose because they didn't have they lost because they didn't have Kevin Durant last year? Or did they lose because they, they lost? You watched it. You were you saw it up close. Why'd they lose the championship? Because lost, they weren't the better team. Composure? No, they well, lost well, it clearly. because they weren't the better team. They weren't and the better honestly, team. They, and they weren't the better team in the Eastern Conference last year. They were a Jimmy Butler put some old legs on this three away from getting knocked out in the conference like, final. I can't deal they with this. Chris, I don't they were hear a Chris anybody. Middleton injury away from being knocked on the second round. They got to the hey, finals. Hey, I'm man. not taking it away from hey. them. But what I'm saying is, Come on. what I'm saying is, like, what I'm saying is, when you spin it forward, you have to look at things soberly and not emotionally and say, can the circumstances that aided us getting to where we got to in the NBA Finals still hold true next year if all things are created equal? And I will say no. So how about we move, remove the variance? How about we go get the baddest man alive and say, meet me in June. I like playing in June. I, I like consistently well, playing in June. I don't want to take the chance of not playing in June. So if I go, got the chance to go get Kevin Durant for the next two years, I'm going to do it. Well, wait a minute. Okay, so if you're feeling that, I'll, okay. Now, since you've already, you, you've gone, you've gone hard in on, uh, you, 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 you bought in on Kevin Durant. Since that's the case, then mm -hmm. you can only answer this question one way. <laughs> you think the Brooklyn Nets are the favorite with Kevin Durant? Are they the favorites to win the East next year? Because you, you got the best player. You already like Kevin Durant. I know you like Kyrie as a player. So you got Kevin, you got Kyrie, you got Ben Simmons in theory. <laughs> All right. So are they the favorites no. to come out of the East? What no, is? because there's there's questions surrounding things besides Kevin Durant. The Kevin Durant saga obscured all these other issues that the Brooklyn Nets had yet to answer to this point. He almost gave them a little bit of a pass. As much as this was chaotic and frenetic and everything else, we didn't ask the question about is Steve Nash the real right guy to lead a championship team? Or Sean Marks, not if he's the right guy for the job, but did he do the requisite things to build a championship team? Because when I look at that roster, I looked at LaMarcus Aldridge, and before that was Paul Millsap and Blake Griffin. They lacked a lot of things in the front court that a team like the Boston Celtics, they don't have that problem. They have Time Lord, they have youth, they have wings, they have size, they have athleticism. All of those things that the Brooklyn Nets don't have because they have star power. And star power, star power excuse me, can't obscure everything. There's a certain franchise stability that the Celtics have, that the Bucks have, that the Heat have, that the Philadelphia 76ers are trying to have that I'm not sure the Brooklyn Nets have. Now, you can also say in the same breath, Kevin Durant, you played a huge part in whatever this yeah. culture is or is not. Absolutely right. But guess what? I know sometimes when people tear up a house, you know what they do? They don't fix it up. They have to leave. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me this. I didn't expect you to say that. <laughs> I didn't expect you to say that. Um, which franchise will regret it most? In in your scenario, hey, how could Ooh. you let the baddest man on the planet just uh, just sit out there for a long time? Will it be Miami? Will it be Phoenix? Because those two were on the list. He called. Mm -hmm. He name checked them. Mm -hmm. Which franchise will say, "What the hell were we thinking? We had a Kevin Durant." We had a chance to get him and we turned it down. Well, I think Miami wanted it, but because of the machinations of the salary cap and the rookie scale extensions, you couldn't have Bam Adebayo and Ben Simmons on the same team. You couldn't have two guys on Rose rookie extensions on the same roster. You can't tr draft them or trade for them. That, that's the sort of one of those tricky things. So I think Miami was willing to do whatever was necessary, but, you know, the CBA messed that up. Phoenix... That might be the one that, when it's all said and done, depending on how DeAndre Aiden and that situation works out, and mind you, I'm a DeAndre Aiden fan. I think he might be like the third-best center in basketball. But when you look at where Phoenix was, and if, you, if, you're, if you're willing to write off that 
Phoenix suffered an aberration in the second round. They just got caught at the wrong time by the right team, and they just ran out of gas. Can you can you realistically see them running it back when it's excuse me when it's 64 games again with Chris Paul being a year older, the league trying to catch up a little bit, and having the same circumstances that helped you? I don't know if that's going to be the case. And I do believe in Monty Williams as a coach. I do believe in Devin Booker, but if I'm if I'm Phoenix. I definitely, especially while DeAndre Aiden was out here trying to figure things out and you weren't willing to pay him initially, I would have been exploring every nook and cranny to get Kevin Durant in my build. Yeah, I thought, I'm proud of you, Vinny, uh, first of all, uh, for just dropping it like you did today, but I'm proud of you because I thought you were about to go into a Chris Paul rant, a Chris Paul takedown along the way. I thought that was coming because, you know, that just kind of rolls off the tongue for you, but no, he's a generational point guard. He's a generational point uh, guard. Yeah, he's a generational point guard. Dot dot dot. There's a there's a there's a post. Nothing else there. Generation generational point guard. He's he's getting older, but he's a generational point guard. All time. And, and, no no denying that. Twice, no no slander. No and, shade. Did I hear you say twice a point guard that Isaiah Thomas ever was? Is that what, is, did I hear you say that? Is that what you? It's too early. Yeah. It's too early. It's too early. It's too early for your nonsense, Michael Holler. You will not drag me into this rabbit hole. You're not doing that. You're not doing that. Hey, I missed you, man. I missed you. I, I just missed I, talking I know, to you. I know that. I know that's the only reason you're doing this. Is you only trying to get under my skin because you miss me. Story of my life. That's I get it. Hey, love you, Vinny. Thank you, man. Love you too, bro. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely, Thanks for man. Thanks time. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. particularly today we will get to that with Kurt Heelan and pro basketball talk but before we talk about the big story in New York let's talk about the other side of the country LA LeBron agrees to an extension with the Lakers and I'm wondering okay you know what is what does this mean are we saying that LeBron is happy uh, with the Lakers, are we saying that he's ending his career with the Lakers? That there is something baked into this deal, invisible that we don't see, but only LeBron and Rich Paul see? I don't know, but LeBron uh, is tied to the Lakers for two years and essentially hundred million dollars. Uh, Kurt Heelan, when you saw this extension, you know, first thought, hey, what? Oh, of course, surprise. What? What was your thought when you uh, when you heard about this? It was it was not surprised. This was LeBron. I was I wouldn't even say I was expected this. This was LeBron choosing family and his life over putting his I mean putting the kind of pressure he put on Cleveland, the kind of pressure he put on Miami, the, the threat of moving. He's a more settled person now. I mean, like this was a LeBron James who said, you know what, my family's really happy here. Bronny's in school, all their kids are in school and really happy here. Family settled. Production companies here, post career life is here. I'm just going to take the hundred million and put, you know, tell them I want better players. Go tell them to go spend the picks and get guys, but I'm not going to leverage it the same way because I think he's just Michael. Is he just in a better? I don't say better, different place in his life where that's maybe going all in the same way isn't the same thing for him anymore. Do you think that he is on board with what's happened in Los Angeles so far? I mean, just, just recently <laughs> for whether it's, you know, Darvin Ham as a head coach and their decision, apparently, uh, I, I guess they were they were forced to make this decision to hold on to Russell Westbrook. Do you think that he looks at this and says, OK, I like it. I'm good. We, we, we can win with this. No, he's too smart for that. No. Look, I, is he on board with Darvin Ham? I think so. I think that that, that he's on board with Darvin's well-respected around the league. 
Is he on board with Russell Westbrook still being there and them not being able to get Kyrie Irving or make kind of considerable other upgrades to this roster? No, he's not. And he said as much. He, he basically, if you notice, they had a meeting on October 4th, I mean, August 4th, the first day that he theoretically could have signed this extension. And a couple of days later, the report comes out like, yeah, the, the, the Lakers will put both picks in now to get Kyrie Irving. Like they're... <laughs> They only have two. The problem is they have those two picks. They don't really have and and Talon Orton Tucker. Like they just don't have much. Other teams want it's almost not enough to get a Westbrook off the books. But he's not okay with it. I still think you're going to see Laker moves. There's rumors about Bogdanovich and and Beverly out of Utah, um, and what they'd have to give up there. Uh, there were the rumors before about Heald and Turner out of out of New out of uh, Indiana. They're still going to make moves. This roster isn't good enough. The problem, Michael, is let's say you get Bogdanovich and Beverly, or you get, I think, a slightly better package for them with Turner and Heald, because Turner's kind of fills a need. Are they still contenders? Are they contenders yet? No. No. No, they're 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 better. They're good, but they're not knocking on the door with Memphis and Phoenix and Golden State and everybody else in the West. Like they're just the Clippers. They're not as good as the team across the hall, which is going to start to really eat at Laker fans this year. And, and you know what, Kurt? Yeah, you bring up a point that is kind of off the LeBron topic, but I can, you know, look at it from his angle. On one hand, yeah, he kind of created the situation that they're in. He was on board uh, for Russell Westbrook. Initially, uh, he, he was yeah. pushing, he and Rich Paul uh, pushed for Anthony Davis to be in Los Angeles. And now, you know, Anthony Davis and his injury concerns outside of the championship a year have been a real uh, real issue. But if I'm LeBron, I look at Rob Palenka and say, hey, why aren't you more creative when it comes to draft compensation, draft picks? Because other teams, like Brooklyn has been dead a couple of times. We'll talk about Brooklyn in a second. But after they gave up everything to get Paul Pierce and, and Kevin Garnett, they kind of came back and they got some first round picks. They came back and they were kind of, they, they restocked and they built up the value of some players that were, they were worthy of first round picks. And then they did it again. They traded a, a bunch of first rounders away, but then they're starting to get some back. Why don't, why, it seems like the Lakers are just, are just looking at what's in the cupboard and they're not using any type of imagination to see how they could create value now or in the very near future that would be attractive to other teams. You, you agree with that? Absolutely. They, they haven't ever been, I mean, they've been better at player development in recent years, but they don't, Brooklyn went out and found Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert and Jarrett at like, they found guys, right. And developed them into guys that you could trade. The Lakers look, they've done a nice job with Austin Reeves. I, I would say that they developed Ingram and ball, but I mean, they also drafted them second. Like, you know, like, they, <laughs> right, right. It's like, how they, much credit, how, how they, much credit we're going to give you for taking a guy at the top yeah. of the draft, right? Yeah, exactly. They haven't been great at finding those gems. And, and it, frankly, it was something they used to be good at, right? Like back in the day when they were drafting 27th every year and they're like, Hey, let's get AC green. Like let's get, they used to find guys and do, and be able to bring them up. They just haven't been that franchise for a while. And they, it holds them back in situations like this because right now the the cupboard's really bare. Like, I mean, they can try to trade Kendrick Nunn, but he just took a whole season off. Like, yeah, he's a nice player. I haven't seen him in a year. Like, how much are you going to get for him? They get their hands tied in these situations. They've not been creative. And by the way, they're a little hamstrung when you start comparing him to Brooklyn. Joe Sy is going to have a pushing $400 million pay. You know, it, he and the Clippers wow. and the Warriors are outspending the mom and pop Lakers right now. The Lakers generate a lot of revenue. They are the biggest brand in the league, but the bus family doesn't have that background. Of, hey, they don't have the Microsoft money sitting behind them. They can just pull in. So there's a cap on what they can spend to compare to some of these other teams. And I think that's going to catch up with them a little down the line as well. So let's talk about a team that has a bear cupboard, the Lakers, to a team that has a bunch of first round picks. Danny Ainge just collects them. Now he's like a first round pick collector, and but he doesn't want to spend them. He just like collects them and he hoards them 
And uh, let, let me see how many I can get. And he goes there and he counts. Okay, we got a bunch of them. So the Utah Jazz now, uh, they got a lot from Minnesota and the Rudy Gobert deal. And they're probably going to get a lot more if they wind up trading Donovan Mitchell. What do you think is going to happen there? Uh, I know Mitchell's not happy with the direction that the Jazz are going. Uh, how's this situation resolve itself? They eventually, the Knicks and Jazz eventually figure this out. What you've got, or look, that Gobert trade, that's, I, I'm not going to use the word, I can't, I'm, I'm, this is a family-friendly show, so I will say upended the market, screwed the market a little bit. It, um, right. It, it, there was so, I mean, three unprotected, one top four protected, basically a, the, this year's number 22 pick, so basically five first-round picks, plus a swap wow. and everything else. Rudy Gobert. Well, Durant's worth more than that, which messes the whole Durant trade up. But frankly, Mitchell, younger, more dynamic on the wing, is probably in, as or more valuable. And suddenly, the net, the Knicks don't want to give up. Look, they also want to make moves after Mitchell. They knew if they get Donovan Mitchell and they pair him with Jalen Brunson, and they've got, you know, look, they, whatever, whatever you think of R.J. Barrett, he can play a little. Maybe Julius Randle bounces back. They've got Grimes, who everybody likes. You start to build something there. They're not contenders, right? They're not there. They know that they've got to make future moves. They don't want to give up all those picks. And Leon Rose, to his credit, has not done the Knicks thing of just like, hey, let's just overpay to get him. Let's just get him here. They've been patient. Danny Ainge is being patient. But I think eventually, who else are they going to dance with? You want Tyler Hero and a couple picks out of Miami? I'd rather have those Knicks right. picks because between Miami and New York, Michael, which team is which franchise is more likely to screw it up? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we know that history. History teaches us a lot. Now, I, I, I've saved the best for last. It is the best. I love this story. Kevin Durant and the and the Nets. And so now I just love I love the phrasing. I love the phrasing of, of this statement. And I wonder if was Durant a part of this? Uh, did he just say, I can imagine him going in and saying, okay, whatever, what do you want to write? Write whatever you want to write, uh, whatever you want to call it. And so they called it a partnership. Our partnership will continue. And Kevin Durant will be here. He's going to stick it out with us. What the hell? Well, Brooklyn, that's, what, that's my question to you. What the hell? What the, what the hell? What the hell are they doing? What are we doing here? Hey, everybody's going to sit around the fire and sing Kumbaya. It's all good, Michael. I don't know what you're possibly worried about. I mean, it's going to be interesting. Like, basketball-wise, this team is ridiculously good, right? Like, they are now up there right. with Boston and Milwaukee. Like, they should absolutely be contenders. But how is everybody's emotional state coming back from this? Is everybody really all in is 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 Kyrie Irving all in is he ever all in is he all in on this team um is Ben Simmons willing to pay a role and hey Steve Nash I don't know that Kevin Durant was totally wrong there man there are a lot of people there around is. the league and, and Michael you might be one of them who questioned the I think you have in the past questions whether Steve Nash is right for this thing man yeah I mean I, I'm but you mentioned Steve Nash and if I'm him I, I just know, look, man, this is, uh, this is, this is corporate warfare. This is corporate brutality. Yeah. Uh, and it's just th this, this white collar crime and you're, you're bleeding out. You don't even realize it <laughs> until like, yeah. you know, a day or two later. And so if I'm Steve Nash, yeah, on one hand, Joe Sy said publicly, I support my basketball operations staff, but Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, how do those guys really feel about you? Are you watching your back at all times? If the team yeah. starts off, you know, uh, 24 and, and 17, uh, is, is that going to, you know, at the halfway point? Yeah. And they got championship aspirations. And Durant is kind of like not really into it. And Kyrie has taken eight or nine games off. Does Steve Nash pay the price for it? I it, like they're together, they're together, Kurt. But it feels like this is very fragile, and something's not quite right. Yeah, they're together at until their earliest possible convenience, maybe. Like I think they're together now. 
I think that they will say all the right things and come in and try to win games, but I don't think it has to wait till midpoint of the season. Do you like if they start off 12 and 10 and they're in fourth or fifth in the East because Philadelphia's hot early and Boston's hot early and Milwaukee. And by the way, Miami, like we don't talk about them. They have the best record in the conference last year. They're legitimate. If if they start off slow, you are spot on. The guy who pays the price now is Steve Nash. Sean Marks isn't going anywhere. Steve Nash is the guy, but we'll see. I mean, on paper, this team looks brilliant. You've got four, four guys locked in with Joe Harris back. We kind of don't mention that. Like getting his shooting right. back is huge. They've got Ben Simmons who will defend for them. And if he can, if he's willing to take a Draymond like secondary passing role kind of finish at the rim guy on offense like hey set the pick roll to the roll to the nail get the ball back and dish he'd be dangerous you got Kyrie you got yeah then you can fill it out put Claxton yeah. in put Curry you got all the options for that fifth guy depending on your matchup it looks great on paper but I need to see this thing running before I really trust it in the way that I look I trust Boston I trust Milwaukee I don't I don't have that level of trust right now with Brooklyn well, there you go. And Kurt, always great talking to you. And you just mentioned it. You just mentioned the problem. It's a trust problem. That's our smile yeah. when you said, hey, if Ben Simmons can do this, right? That's the issue. If Kyrie Irving will, dot, dot, dot. If Kevin Durant, if Ben Simmons, and you just find yourself in these situations with a team like the Nets, and at the end of the season, you say, well, why did I fall for it? Hey, Kurt, always great talking hoops with you, man. Appreciate you. Always love it, brother. Thank you. Thank you, man. Dietz & Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. All right, today is August 23rd, 2022. You know what happened? August 23rd, 1978. Jelly Bean Bryant's son, Joe Bryant's son, Kobe Bean Bryant. Happy birthday, Kobe. Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll see you later. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.